everyone needs a helping hand. Everyone needs a helping hand. At least it seems that way to me. In fact, I can't even get up in the morning and have a bowl of cereal without seeing it on the front page of the paper. People in need. And the images they use are so vivid, so strong. <laughs> Not the kind of thing that's easy to deal with over my bowl of rice checks and bananas. <laughs> so I usually just don't even bother looking at the paper till after I've finished eating, so I don't lose my appetite. And don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't care. In fact, sometimes I think I care too much. I know I'm blessed. I know how fortunate I am. I know my family has it so good compared to what others, compared to what a lot of people are going through. I know that, but I don't know. Sometimes I just feel so overwhelmed. I'd like to do more for others, I would, but just getting through my week is a major effort for me. I mean, take yesterday for an example. I was up at 5.30 in the morning. I had to run to the store, get milk. I got back, Janet overslept, so I had to get her up, feed her, get her off to swim practice. Tom switched cars with me so I could take the Camry in for the emissions test. Why am I the one that has to take the car in for the emissions test? Which I did, which I did right after I got Luke's soccer uniform washed and dried, got him to his game, picked Jen up from school, <sighs> took her to the mall with me, I had to get a gift for my sister, had to get there in time for her birthday. That means a trip to the post office, a quick trip to the grocery store, got home, I picked up the house, I fixed dinner. Then after dinner, and I know I've complained, but Tom and I went out and washed the windows on one side of the house, I came in, I did the dishes, I helped the kids with homework, I did a load of laundry, and I collapsed on the couch. It doesn't give me much time to do the thing I want to be doing, which is helping those that are less fortunate than me. And the need is everywhere. Children who need families, adults who need jobs, in fact, I don't even drive downtown anymore because it's there too, and oh, it's depressing. <laughs> but just right out here in front of the Valley Mall, there's a lady standing on the corner with a sign that says, we'll work for food. Are you kidding me? We'll work for food? I live 15 minutes away from here, and honestly, my family throws away more food in one day than she could possibly eat. And the image it leaves so ironic, this big super mega mall in the front, and then this poor, tattered woman standing on the corner with a cardboard sign. It shocks me every time I see it. So what am I going to do? What do I do? Do I give her a couple dollars when I'm stopped at the light? Yeah, right. That's not going to help. So I don't look at her. I pretend I don't see her and I just drive on. And then I feel guilty. I feel guilty driving away because I know what I have. And these people, these people in need, well, it doesn't look like the government or anyone else is really doing that much that's effective. Seems like their problems just keep adding up and adding up, and in my heart, I feel more and more guilty. So, 
What if I could carve out a few hours of my day to help someone? What would I do? I'm one person. What is the one act of kindness I could do to make a difference? What could I do to make a difference in this giant sea of need? And seriously, it's kind of a depressing thought that even if I try, even if I think I could make a difference, it might not even really make a difference at all. So why should I even try? Yeah, go ahead. I know it's, it's hard to know what to do after something like that. Do you applaud? Do you cry? Uh, there's this mix of emotions. And so much of our life represented through that. We are very busy. Anybody here not busy? We're so busy. Our lives are so full of so many things. And that's the truth on the one hand. The other truth, the other hand, is that we are so overwhelmed. We live in a culture unlike any time in history where we're exposed to more need in one day than our forefathers saw in a lifetime. We turn on the news. You, you, you cannot help but turn on and see stories of what's happening in the Sudan and thousands of people starving to death. I mean, it's, we're, we're exposed to this over and over and over again. And there's this struggle. I know because I feel it. There's a struggle. On the one hand, we want to do something. We want to help. And yet, on the other hand, we, our lives are so full, so busy, and we feel like, what can one person really do? How can one person really make a difference? But they can. We're going to take a look today at God's big plan. And his plan involves you. And that may be a shocker to some of you, but it is absolute truth. God has a plan. And his plan involves you and me. And I know that we tend to think sometimes, well, I, I, again, I don't either have time or I'm not talented enough or I don't have what it's going to take to get the job done or whatever. But the truth is God has a plan and you're it. There is no plan B. God has a plan and his plan is to use you. He uses you as an individual. He uses us collectively as a community, as a community of faith. He uses the church, capital C, worldwide. He, his plan is to use us to advance his work, to do what he wants, to see people in need touched and lives changed. God has a big plan and it involves us. It involves you and me. I had a guy come to me several years ago and he was a young man. I'm going to say 22, 23 years old thereabouts. And he was so passionate. And I love passion. I, that, I just... I get excited when somebody gets excited. And he comes in and he is telling me, man, I, the Lord's been speaking to me and I've been, I've been having these dreams and I've been reading these books and I've been thinking about what I can do and I believe God's calling me and, and I want to go someday, maybe be a missionary. And he goes, just goes, went on and on and on about this great future that he believed God had for him. And I'm excited for him. And I didn't want to squash that for a second. I said, that is awesome. That is so cool. I'm so glad that you've got a passion for that and you want to pursue that. But let me ask you a simple question. And he looked at me and I said, what are you doing right now? And I kind of got this blank, he got this blank look on his face and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, man, I am, I am pumped that you're pumped about tomorrow and a week from now and a year from now and five years from now and what you want to see God use you for in the future. But what are you doing right now? And his response was pretty typical. Well, I'm in school and I'm busy and I've got some things going on. And he said it, someday I want to be used by the Lord. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I believe God's going to use you someday, but I also believe the Lord wants to use you today. 
right where you're at, right where you're planted. And I told him what I'm telling you, grow where you're planted. Ask God to show you why he put you where you're at. Here's a little insight. God doesn't have accidents. You're not an accident, and he's put you exactly where you're at with a purpose. He put you in your school where you're at with those kids for a reason. He put you in your neighborhood where you're at with those people, with your neighbors, for a reason. He put you where you work for a reason. You are there to have influence for the kingdom, to advance his work, to be him, to represent him right where you're at. And he wants you to grow where you're planted. I hope you have a dream for tomorrow. I hope you have a dream for your future. But I'm here to tell you today, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to understand this. God has a plan today. And his plan involves you. And it doesn't matter whether you're 12 years old or 72 years old. It doesn't matter whether you're educated with a degrees and doctorates or have no education. It doesn't matter whether you think you've got all these natural gifts or you feel like you have no gifts. God wants to use you right where you are. He's got a plan. It's a great big plan, and it's, it's for you. And together, we can make a difference. I want to read to you a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it is a text rich with application. I could spend weeks on this passage. And some of you have looked ahead at the outline and you're a little nervous about today because you're seeing an awful lot of blanks. I'm going to book through these pretty quickly. But th this passage speaks to our purpose. And it's what I call a purpose passage. Let me start with uh, verse 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. It controls us. It urges us on. It compels us. And we are, we are convinced, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's speaking of Jesus, that we live for him. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And I love this because what Paul's saying is I've got a different perspective now. I'm seeing people, I'm seeing others through the eyes of Jesus. Though we once regarded Christ in this way with a worldly point of view, we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of helping people come back to relationship, be, begin a relationship with God, be restored to relationship with him. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to you and to me, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you. That's a strong word. Paul says, I beg you. I'm urging you. I implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You Work on your relation. Be reconciled to him because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this is an amazing passage where Paul lands on some very critical things for us to understand. Let me just give you a few to, to, to think about. The first one, if you're taking notes this morning, number one in your outline is we are compelled by love. Paul says we are compelled. Christ's love compels us. He was driven by love. Last week I dealt with this. I will not rehash it all again today. But I want to remind you, and if you missed last week, go online and listen to the message or pick up the CD at the information table. Because this is the foundation for everything that we're going to deal with in this series. But Paul says it's Christ's love that motivates me, that drives me. And he knew what it meant to be impacted by the love of God. He knew what he saw, that impact in the lives of people around him. And he said, it's that love that compels, that urges me on, that drives me to want to make a difference in the world I live in. 
And all of us can relate to being driven by love. At some level, you can relate to it. When I uh, was in high school, fell madly in love with my wife, I was driven to pursue her. I stalked her. And you ask her, I did. I, I pursued her, and I went after her, and I was driven by my love for that redhead that I, that I still today, 37 years later, love so much. You know what it's like to be driven. Some of you may be thinking, well, I, 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 you've been thinking about hunting or fishing. In fact, Matt King went fishing this week. Look at that fish. That's a 40-pounder. When I saw that thing, I thought, no way. He, he photoshopped that. But that's for real. He caught that. Some of you right now, I've lost you for the rest of the day. Because you, you are so driven by fishing, that's all you're going to think about. Wish I was there. Where did he go? How did he catch it? What lure was he using? I mean, it's because you're driven. You're driven to fish. Some of you don't care at all about fish. But here's what you do care about. You're driven by other things like chocolate. <laughs> Whoever came up with chocolate fondue, genius. I mean, genius. Look at that. And it's almost lunchtime. And I, again, some of us are driven. We get that. And Paul said, I am driven by love. I am compelled by love. It's what gets me up. It's what keeps me going. It's what helps me endure the struggles that I fight. And Paul says, if, if we're going to be part of God's plan, then we need to be compelled and driven by love as well. The second thing we see here is that we are to live for more than ourselves. Number two, we're to live for more than ourselves. Verse 15 says, those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him, for Christ. Paul says those who live because of what Christ has done for us, we don't just live for ourselves. It's not just, here's a little insight. It ain't just about you anymore. It's, it's, we don't live for just us, for ourselves. We live for him, and implied in that is that we will live for others because that's what he did. If we love what God loved, as I said last week, we're going to love what he loves, and he loves people. If we, if we live for him, if we love him, then we're going to be like him. And we're going we're gonna to serve those around us. And it's not going to just be about us anymore. It's about others. And for us to discover our purpose, for you to discover God's purpose and plan right where you are at today, in your world, in your sphere of influence, where you live, then you've got to begin to stop thinking just about yourself and begin to think about those around you, about that neighbor, that guy that, that God put next door to you. He's not there by accident. And you need to start thinking, God, how can, I, how can I reach him? How can I love him? How can I show him the truth of your love? That guy you work with, that gal you work with, that you've just figured it was job and duty and blah, 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 and you just kind of go through the motions. No, God put you there for a reason. And you need to start thinking about that person. How can I be like Jesus to them? Because the third thing here, number three in the outlines, we are to be God's hands and voice to a world that is far from him. We, you and I, are to be God's voice in his hands to a world that is far from him. We have the privilege, and I hope you see it as that. We have the privilege to represent him. Verse 18 to 20, Paul talks about us having the ministry of reconciliation. And that just means that we get to do what Jesus did. We get to point people to God. We get to remind them that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. We get to help them discover the reality that God loves them and that he gave his son for them. And we get to help them by pointing to the, to, to the cross, help them discover the love that they can have of the Father, the love that they can experience in him. And it's a privilege for us to do so. In fact, Paul says we are his ambassadors. If you get chosen as an ambassador for our country and you're the ambassador in China or the ambassador of the United States in some other European country, that is an honor. 
I have a friend of mine who works in the State Department. He's not been an ambassador, but he's worked for ambassadors. And, and it's an honor. They, it is a high honor to be selected to represent our country as an ambassador in another country. And Paul uses that word here. He says, we are his ambassadors. And part of that is to imply, well, we represent him. A part of it is to make sure we understand this is an honor. It is a privilege. Do you remember what it was like to be far from God? Man, I do. And I, I, I think if we would dial that up in our hearts and our minds sometimes, then that will motivate us as well to want to see others come to know what we know. I remember what it was like to be far from God. I remember what it was like to be buried under guilt and shame and to try to drink myself into oblivion so I wouldn't think about it. I remember the nights, the many, many nights I'd spend night after night getting plastered at a bar. And what an empty life. What a, what a meaningless life that was. And I did it trying to numb myself, get away from God. I remember what it's like to not have hope, to not have peace. I remember what it's like to wake up in the morning and to dread the day, not to look forward to the day with joy. I remember what it's like to not be in relationship with Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, the one who saved me. And I wonder, do you remember? Will you remember? Because as you do, you'll want to be his voice in his hands. You'll want other people to know what you know and experience, and you'll see it as a privilege. People say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not talking about some role or responsibility or, 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 or job, an evangelist. I'm not talking about necessarily even having the gift. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Fine. But you can be you. You can be, you can be what Christ wants you to be right where you are. And you can do amazing things for him right where you live. And well, I don't know. You know, Philippians 4.13 is another one of my favorite verses. It says, I can do all things, and it doesn't finish there. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. You can do this through him who will give you strength. The call of God is for us to love others. The call of God is for us to, to, to make a difference in the lives, to be his hands and his voice to a world that is watching. There's a passage in Philippians 2 I want to read to you. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And Paul here again is writing, and he puts it this way. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, in your relationships with people, think like Jesus. Look at people like he does. Have this, his mindset. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be, made, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, and listen to this, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul says, be like him. And don't worry about how you come across or what you're going to get out of it. Humble yourself, serve, lay your life down. Jesus made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant for our sake. Do the same for others. Well, what does that look like? Let me get very practical now. Uh, that's what 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. There's some more truth than that. But those are the things that I want us to see today. But what, how? What can you do? How can you make a difference? What can you do? Well, here's the first thing in your, your outline. Number, first thing, number one, connect with purpose. You can connect with purpose. I talked about your sphere of influence. The people in your world, connect with them. Find a way to make a difference in their lives. First thing you can do is pray for them. You want God's heart for people that you work with, that maybe you don't even like, 
your neighbor who may tick you off from time to time, that kid in school is always bullying you or picking on you. You want to get God's heart for them? First, begin by praying for them. Say, oh, God, please. Don't pray, God, smite them, kill them. Pray, pray God, God, please work. Please, please move. Please reveal yourself to them. Pray for them. And then every day, find maybe one simple thing you can do to serve them, a way that you can show them the love of God and love them the way he does. Build relationships. Don't isolate from them. Integrate with them. One of the things that bothers me about the church, and I'm going to deal with more about this next week, is that we tend to isolate. We become Christ followers. We get into a church, which is all great and good, and I love that, and then we begin to isolate, and we build this little shell, this little safe cocoon around us, and all the people we end up knowing after five years are Christians. All the people we hang out with are Christians. All the people that we know are people just like us. And we isolate rather than integrate. And I do not find that in the scriptures. Jesus didn't do that. And I'll deal with that more next week. But don't isolate, integrate. Find intentional ways to get involved in the lives of people around you. Here's the second thing you can do. Invite them with confidence. Invite, be a bringer and includer. We've talked about this before. And if you're new, let me just tell you what I mean by that. We provide Sunday morning services that are designed in a way that you hopefully will not be embarrassed or ashamed or afraid to bring a friend to. You know, we really work hard at making this something that's presentable and good. And I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, I had no idea church could be like that. Well, you know, I hit my, by my friend today, and, and uh, he came, and wow, he's just blown away because he didn't know the church could be like that. He didn't know that it could be real. He didn't know that it could be fun. He didn't know that you could laugh. He didn't know you could drink coffee. We try to provide an environment where you will feel safe. And we say it all the time. This is a safe place to discover grace. It really is. And I want to encourage you to invite. To, to, do you know that overwhelming majority of people, a whole bunch of people, come to a church because somebody invited them to come? Yep, some drive by and think, well, that's weird. Church in Kmart. i got to check that out. <laughs> some see something online or they see an ad or whatever. But more often than not, they come because somebody said, hey, would you come with me? Would you just, I, I, we're, we've got this special thing happening this week. There's great dramas, music, uh, Christmas Eve. There's a great opportunity there. It's like, man, we have a special, wonderful service and, and we light candles and we sing Christmas songs and it's very moving. Would you come? I'll, I'll meet you in the lobby and I'll sit with you. Be a bringer and includer. Invite with confidence. That's another thing you can do. Third thing you can do. Serve. Serve with joy. I've kind of landed on this. I will land on it some more because I believe this is so important. I believe the church ought to lead the way. I believe in government to a degree. I believe in, in you know, other agencies and things that can and, 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 and do help. But it is my deep conviction that the church of Jesus ought to lead the way, that we ought to be the model for everyone else. And historically, that's been the case. Most of the big organizations today making a huge difference started at least as Christian organizations. Many of the hospitals in this country started as Christian-based hospitals. It's, and that, that needs to continue, and we need to get better at it, where we are serving and leading the way in doing so. In my opinion, there's two sides to this service coin. Now, let me just unpack it for you a little bit. On the one is the service to our community of faith to the church, to those sitting here, to those that attend here. And it's a very important part because we care for our family. We care for those in our community. We care for one another. Taught again and again and again in the scriptures. Obviously we do so. 
The other side of that coin, though, is we serve our community at large. We serve those outside of these four walls. How can you serve here? Well, there are so many opportunities, so many things that you can do. We can serve as a coffee barista, making coffee. Well, that's, that's not that big a deal. You know, making coffee for somebody and, and a smile is a big deal. You can serve as an usher or a greeter and, and just be that kind of person that welcomes somebody here. And, and you may be the first contact they have with somebody here at East Point. And just smile and say, hey, glad you're here today. You can serve in Adventureland. You know, there's about 200 kids will be back in Adventureland today. 200 little rugrats. And it's awesome. And I, I love when I ask the kids after they come out and I catch them in the hallway. You watch. Many times I'll ask the little guys, hey, did you have fun today? And I get a big smile. And, and, and in fact, only one time in nine years have I had a kid break down and cry and say, no. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah, it's great. In fact, I hear stories all the time where kids drag their parents back because of Adventureland. Dad, we got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. Dad, I got to go. I want to go to Adventureland. It's an awesome way. We provide that, not just as child care or babysitting or because we don't like kids, just the opposite. We don't provide a great opportunity. I grew up in church where I hated church. It was boring. And I had to sit right in the front row and be still. Ever tried to be still when you have ADD? (laughs) It's not possible. We want to provide an environment for kids that is wholesome and holy and fun. And you can serve. We have right now, I, I asked the Adventureland staff, how many openings do we have for November? We've got 30 openings. We have plenty. And with 1,000 adults that will be here this weekend, 1,000 adults will sit in these two services. With that many, we ought to fill those 30 up like now. And, well, I'm not really called to serve kids. You know what? I say this too. In my household, nobody's called to empty the trash. Trust me, I've asked. Nobody's called to clean the dishes or take out, you know, the, the, to mow the lawn. I talked last week about how I hate mowing lawns. I do it every week. I did it yesterday. It's, it's not, we are called to serve. And especially if you have a child back there, at least once a month, sign up. There's sign-ups back there. You can serve. And in doing so, catch the vision, though. I'm not trying to land hard on you. I'm trying to encourage you. In doing so, we provide a great environment for people to bring their kids to so that they'll come in here and they'll love it. And they'll come back and maybe they'll find Jesus. Maybe their kids will discover the love of God back there. There are many opportunities to serve the family, to serve our community of faith outside of the church. There are so many. I'm almost hesitant to mention because there are so many and I, I wish I could take the time to, um, to, to reveal them all to you. But there's so many things. Life services, cup of cool water, helping with our SOS, our summer of service, the Opportunity Reading Buddies program that we're starting up in a couple of weeks, going down a half hour a day reading with kids. I do it. It's awesome. Finding ways to serve our community. They ought to look at us, believe me, they ought to look at us and say, I had no idea that that's what church could be like, that that's the way people that love God can be like. They ought to look at us and be amazed at our willingness to serve them and to care for them. We serve the family. We serve outside these four walls. And in doing so, we are telling people that they matter to God. Do you understand that? In doing so, we're telling people you matter. You matter to God. You matter to me and you matter to him. We serve. Well, one last thing that we can do is give. Give generously, sacrificially, faithfully. Give. I know that some people get nervous when pastors start talking about money and giving. I never make any apology for it. 
because I understand a very basic reality. Here's reality 101. It takes resources to do what we do. It does. And I, I, we don't guilt people around here. We don't twist. I've never passed the offering bag. You know, we're going to pass it around one more time. You know, I, and I've been to churches that have done that. You know, or, or they, where they have the big plates up front and everybody marches around and drops them in front. You know, I, we don't do that. But the reality is it takes resources to do what we do. And I, I was thinking this week, I wonder how many of you have really no idea what I mean by that. Let me just give you a few things. And this is kind of a family talk. If you're visiting, forgive me if this bothers you, but this is family. Let's, let's talk about what it takes to, to do what we do around here. We have seven days a week something going on in this building, and often more than one something at a time. Thursday night, there were four things happening down here. This coming Wednesday, we're going to have 450 to 500 high school students down here for Future Business Leaders of America. They're using our facility, and they're pretty much taking over everything. You can use this room and all the other rooms for breakout sessions. 500 high school kids here for Future Business Leaders of America. I love it. We've trained Starbucks employees. We've had 200 Starbucks employees in here before. Train them how to do coffee at Christmas time. I love it. We, we have, but that's just outside stuff. We've got internal things happening all the time. It, all sorts of things happen in this facility all the time. And you know what that means? It does, it, I know you think, well, I only come on Sunday. I only sit here for an hour. Well, there's stuff happening all week long. We're ministering, caring for people all week long. And, and one of the things that boils down to is, guess what our average utility bill is? Don't guess. You'll be wrong. $3,700 a month. $3,700. Now, you think, well, is it because we're wasteful? No, not at all. We've got 75,000 square feet, and things happening seven days a week. And how many of you would rather sit in a heated room than not? <laughs> or sit in with light rather than the dark? It's just part of the, the world we live in. We have a, a great lease. I won't break it down again, but we, we pay about 25 cents a square foot for the, our, the space. In this area, the going rate's a dollar a square foot. We're 75 cents less than the normal. Phenomenal lease. But it's still the cost for our facility, just the lease payment and the stuff the CAM charges, $23,000 a month. Now, you think, oh my goodness. For a church our size, that's nothing. I know another church in town that's about our size that pays $50,000 a month in an interest-only loan payment. I know another church spent $11 million in their facility, and their payment's huge. We, we have a great deal. Our board has been smart. We've managed the finances well. We've had a phenomenal deal here. But for a church our size, it, this is what it takes to do church. And I think some of you just maybe, you think, oh, you know, I don't really get it. I don't understand. What's the big deal? Why do I always talk about the offering? Because it takes resources to do what we do. I want to encourage you. Connect with people. Invite them. Know that you can invite them here to a safe place. Pray for them. Love them. Serve them. And then understand what it takes that we, we give to make it possible to continue the ministry that God's given to us and to reach the 80 or 90% of our county that are still far from him. One last thing, and I, again, this is a little bit of family talk, but, you know, we're moving next door. And people say, when? Well, when we're done. Uh, <laughs> good news is we have finished the construction phase of the project. In fact, I'm going to show you the, this, that's their certificate of occupancy right there. Yep. And uh, when we got that, I did a little jig, and I was very excited and very thrilled. Tim Gumpson right here has been our project manager, and I called him, and, and uh, I, I, I kissed and hugged and 
thanked him so much because he has made this really possible. He's done so much for us. And yet it's done. But what that means is the city signed off on all the construction stuff. If you've ever built a home, you know that building the foundation and the framing and getting the walls and the roof and all that stuff is a big part of the process, big part of the, the, the money it takes to do that. But then there's the finish work. Then there's the, I got to get it livable. Now I got to put some carpet down. Now I got to put some furnishings in there and make it happen. We knew from the beginning when we started this project that it would be about $700,000, $750,000. We've raised over a half million bucks, $535,000 this last year. Let me say thank you. Hear my heart. Thank you for the sacrifice that many of you have made, for what you've done to make this possible, to take us this far so far. But we got to finish. And I would love to be in there by Christmas. I am praying and hoping that we will be. But that means over the next couple of months, we've got to raise about $250,000. Well, what's, uh, the walls are up. What? You check out what it costs to do sound systems. Sound, lighting, the flooring. Huge part, huge cost of that process. And somebody said, well, I'm pretty good with the tile floors. And I said, Really? You, you, you invite people to, I mean, you know, if you're home, if you invite them in, I bet you put something on the floor besides the, the, the plywood. You, you want it to be presentable and, and warm and inviting. You know, two of my daughters got married right here on the stage. Two of my daughters got married right here. And it's a, it was great. Some of you, listen, some of you, your kids are going to get married next door. Do you really want your daughters walking down on a Kmart floor? I don't think so. And so, yeah, we got to finish it up. And we want a decent sound system. So we're not going to spend hundreds of thousands, but we need to get good sound system in there so it's good for you and so that you can hear it. And lighting and finish the flooring in there. And to do that's about $250,000. And I'm asking you to step up. Let's finish this project. Let's continue to sacrifice to get it done, to get it over with so we can move there. That's a part of what it takes to do what God's called us to do. But let me bring this home for you. The last thing, the bottom line, is that we... All that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to be is for those who are still far from relationship with God. All that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to be is for those who are still far from God. And the question I, I want to finish with today is where we started. What can you do? What can one person accomplish? What difference can you really make? Well, let me tell you a little story, and I'm done. I have heard variations of this story, and I'm going to tell you the one that I've heard. But it's called the Starfish Thrower. And there was an old man who was walking down the beach one day, and he saw in the distance somebody, I figured it was a guy, but he thought he was dancing at first, because the way he was moving on the shore, and, and he thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. So he was drawn, he was curious, and he moved toward this man who was on the shore. And as this older gentleman got closer, he began to realize, no, he wasn't dancing. He was picking things up and throwing them in the ocean. Well, then he looked around and realized he's probably picking up starfish. There had been an exceptionally high tide that night and a storm. So the high tide and the storm, thousands, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of starfish had been washed up on the beach and no hope of them getting back into the water and they were going to die. So this guy's picking them up and throwing them back in the water as fast as he could. Well, the old man came up to this young man who was doing this and he said, Guy, you know, really, I mean, seriously, how much difference can you make? Look at all these starfish. There's way too many. You're never going to make an, an, an impact. How much difference can you make? And at that, the young man reached down, picked up another starfish, threw it in the ocean. He said, I made a difference for that one. I made a difference for that one. You can make a difference. You do what God wants you to do where you're at. And then we, the beauty, beauty the, the amazing picture is, then we combine our, our efforts together in a community, and we can do even more.
That's the heart. That's God's plan. And again, there is no plan B. You're it. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have enlisted us, that you've called us to serve, to give, to invest, to pour out our lives into the lives of those around us. And that, God, you left us here with a purpose to advance, to extend the kingdom of God. That you left us here to be your voice, to be your hands, to be your heart revealed to a world that is watching. And, God, I pray, I'm asking you with all of my heart, I'm praying, God, that you would let every one of us leave here today, that not one person will leave here today without getting it, without understanding that they have a purpose, that God has a plan for them, that God has something he wants them to do right where they're planted, right where they are, and that they would see that and engage in that. And then, Lord, broaden the, the scope, the understanding even more that we would see that together as a community of faith, There's an even greater plan and a greater purpose for us to reach the tens of thousands in our county and beyond who are far from you, who are destined for eternity without you unless somebody, somebody makes a difference. Somebody tells them. Someone acts as a messenger of the message of reconciliation. Somebody represents you as an ambassador. God, help us to do that better. Help us to do it for those who are far from you because that's your heart and that's your plan. Would you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute? Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And perhaps one of the things you thought, you know, if, if, if church is like that, if it's about helping people and giving our lives away, then that stirred something and you thought, yeah, I, I, I'm, I want that. I, I'm, I'm not interested in just joining a club, but if I, if I can become a part of something that will make a difference, I want that. Maybe you're here today and you thought, I, I, need, I need to be reconciled to God. I need to experience his grace and his forgiveness. And you get that like you've never got it before. And yet today you know that that's what I need and that's what you want. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just make this prayer your prayer. Make my words your prayer. Own this. As I pray this simple prayer to God, you just say, God, yeah, that's me. That's what I want. And in doing so, you begin your life as a Christ follower. You become a child of God as you make these words yours. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you that you have made a way of reconciliation possible through the cross. I need you. I have failed. I have sinned. I have blown it. I am far from what I know you want me to be. And so right here, right now, I surrender. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. I give you all that I am, all that I have, the good, the bad, all of it. I give it all to you. And in exchange, I receive the life that you have for me the grace, the forgiveness that you have for me, the joy, the hope that you have for me. God, it seems too good to be true, but I'm so glad it is. So right here, right now, I give you my all, and I embrace your all for me. Now, if that's you in your own heart to say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And as you do, you become his child. Father, for those making that decision in this room right now, for those watching online, I pray, God, that you would capture their heart with your love and show them that you have brought them to this point where they can begin this journey as a, now as, as, as a child of God and that they belong to you now, Lord, and you belong to them. Show them that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with the last song. I love this song. It's a great declaration song. Make this your prayer. Make this your de- declaration. The ushers are going to come. We're going to give as part of our worship and to support what God's doing here. And let's worship and I'll come back. You see, who said church can't be fun? That was awesome. Thank you, guys. Hey, listen.
couple things before you go. One, if you began your life as a Christ follower today, tell somebody. Come up and tell me. You'll make their day, you'll make mine. And back on the table as you leave, there's tables by the doors, packages for new Christians on it. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. We want to walk with you in the next step. Take you with us as we walk towards our Savior. There'll be communion on both sides of the room. If you'd like communion today, prayer team up front if you need prayer. And my challenge, my encouragement to you, listen, go make a difference this week. One person can make a difference. We together can make a difference. Go make a difference in the name of Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.